0: Your Bibles with you, go ahead and get them out to First John, which has been our book of the season. We've been spending time with uh, that great Bible book, one of our favorites, one of my favorites, and uh, powerful, powerful Word of God. We're looking today at uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, first paragraph. That and if you've got your handout with you, there's an insert that just says faith is the victory at the top. And uh, that comes straight from the text. Faith, our faith, God allows us to have in him is the victory. In fact, this would be a good time to kind of put that text in mind, just this paragraph. I'll read it. Everyone who believes that Jesus even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for your Apostle John. Thank you for his encouragements about loving you and obeying you and being part of those that overcome. Would you inspire us, Lord, today as your children, as your children? overcomers. Would you, by our faith, through our faith, overcome the world in us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about three things today. The three things that the apostle John just keeps bringing up. He just keeps bringing up topics. Now, he's not like the apostle Paul that just goes kind of linear and ties off a thought and adds another thought and adds another thought. John, I've been saying, he kind of goes around and he comes back around and he comes back around. So the three things we're going to talk about today he's already talked about, but he's going to talk about them today in a totally different way. He's going to bring them up to us differently and almost surprisingly different for us. So we're going to look at love, we're going to talk about obedience. we're going to talk about faith. <laughs> the three key subjects for every believer, love, Obedience and faith, (laughs) they really go together. Now, I've actually termed this fondness rather than just love, (laughs) fondness. And I want to start off with just talking about how he ties in our relationship and our love. See, he's really talking about birth and a new birth and being born again. John's the apostle who recorded Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. You've seen it probably even on The Chosen, the the, the video series. He has the conversation with Nicodemus, who is a massive religious man. He he put all of us to shame in terms of how religious he was. But Jesus was just point blank with Nicodemus. (laughs) You must be Born. born again. Born again. And of course, Nicodemus is like, well, I can't enter into my mother's womb again. It's not gonna work. Jesus said, no, you gotta be born of the water and the spirit. It's a heart thing. It's a personal spiritual thing. You must be born again. Look at the terminology here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, born of God. It's the rebirth of our spirits, our souls, our hearts, and everyone who loves a father loves his child as well. See, I want to think with you a little bit about, I call it the faithful elder brother. Let's see if I can get this here. And we're going to talk about Jesus for a minute. I mean, that's how he starts it off. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. You know that word for Christ. It's the same word as Messiah. In the Hebrew, it's Mashiach. okay. Jesus is the Christ. That's not his last name, Jesus Christ. It's not his middle name. (laughs) It's his title, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one. That's what it means. Jesus, the one who was anointed by the Father. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's the beginning point for everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ. Now, for thousands and thousands of years, the people of God were looking forward to the Messiah. They were looking forward to Jesus coming in the flesh, for God being incarnated in human form. The Messiah was coming. The Messiah was coming. And that's why we touched down, (laughs) the angel spoke to Mary, and the other uh, people he revealed it to, The Messiah is born. The Messiah has come. Jesus the Christ. Now we look back on that Messiah. Everyone who looked forward to believe in Jesus had salvation through him. And everyone who looks back on Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. And we become born of God. I mean the difference is really life. It's really about are we alive or not? you know you can take a you can take a corpse, a dead body, and dress it up really, really nice. you know you can make it look really attractive for the moment, okay but something's missing something's not there. what's not there? life life now there's a lot of people that Would dress up the outside. They would say, Well, I go to church a lot. I'm I'm clothed in church attendance. They might even say, I give a lot of money to the Lord's work. You know, that that dresses me up pretty well, doesn't it? Or they might say, they might have a a, a lot of Bible reading or things that would say, I'm I'm earning points. I'm dressing up. But you know what's missing? if they don't have a relationship with God, they don't have a born-again experience with the Lord, if they don't know Christ in that way, if they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, they're not gonna be alive. They will just be the corpse, dressed up in a great suit and looking fine for the moment, but they won't have that life. And that's what he's pointing to here. He's saying, when you have, in this case, belief in Jesus, and love for, what's it say? Love for his child as well. Then you have real, born again, life. Life in you. Um, Jesus said to them, this is from John chapter eight. If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. <laughs> you belong to your father, the devil. That's pretty harsh words, isn't it? You belong to your father. The devil. There's only two sources of fatherhood. <laughs> You're either fathered by the Lord, believing in Christ, or he says here, fathered by The devil, and you want to carry out the devil's desires, your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you? Believe me. Now, he's talking to people on the earth. He's talking about people who were opposing him at the moment. How much more today can we say these same things? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is you don't belong to God. Life, life itself, new, born again life, comes from believing and trusting in him. Now, here's the play on, here's the um, I kind of think of it as a play on words. He says, fondness for God's kids, the Father's kids. Jot that down if you're filling in your outline. It's the Father's children that come up next. He says, This is how we know that we love the children of God or the child. He starts off with the child of God. You see, um, Up till now, he's been talking about our horizontal relationships. And he says, you should love one another. But now he's bringing up something different. He says, I want you to love one another because you love God. It's out of your love for the father. He had these kids. He had these children. He's got people that he's brought to new life. And you should love them, not just because of who they are, that's horizontal, but because of God's love them. Are you catching that? It's because of the father's love for his children that you ought to be drawn to love his children. See, it's out of that love. I will think much of my father's children because my father thinks a lot of them. How, how many of you have, how, first of all, how many of you have siblings? okay. How many of you have siblings that might be a little bit of a challenge and you simply love them because your parents love them? That's kind of what he's getting at. You are going to find in the church family people that are like your siblings that you might not naturally like, but you love them because you love the Father who loves them. Is that making sense? No? I've got sisters. I've got sisters. I love my sisters. I love my sisters to pieces. Now, their children, my nieces and my nephews, I love my nieces and nephews, partly because I love my sisters so much. You catching that? It's out of a a priori relationship that the secondary relationship comes. And that's the way it is with us in the body of Christ. Well, here, to carry it one more step further. Not even a relative or a sibling I've got friends. I know that surprises you. I've got a couple of friends. And sometimes I get so close to my friends that I start falling in love with their children. And I see these kids that I might not naturally even know, but because I love their parents, I love them. It just happens. You know, the other night, <laughs> I was kind of embarrassed. We were out in the gazebo having youth group and uh, I started talking about these kids, and I just got choked up. I'm looking around at these faces, going, I love these kids. I love their parents. I love their families. This is so cool to be gathered in a gazebo just talking about God. You know? It's like, why do you love these kids so much? I don't know. It's crazy. Part of it is what he's saying here. I love them because I love their parents. I have a relationship with these, with you, with brothers and sisters and families. And God wants to use that for us in this case. He's not just talking about loving people. Now, here's the interesting thing it goes both ways. You love people because you love God, and you love God because you love people. We're going to get to that. You love God because you love people. God speaks to both of those. He says, How can you. How can you say you love God that you can't even see when you can't even love a person who's right next to you? I'm paraphrasing, but that's the idea. How can you say you love this invisible God when you really can't even love people that are next, next to you right in fa- flesh and face? You know? And he also says that the other way, how can you say you love people when you don't love God? Yeah, they go together. They are loving God's kids. So whether they are God's children siblings, or God's children your friends, or God's children in any form, he says, there's a fondness, a love that comes out. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God. Let's go to the next one here. This is how we know that we love the children of God? By loving God. Now that's That's a shock right there. It's like, what? We know we love the children of God by loving God? How's that work? Well, that's kind of the whole point. Because we love God, we love God's kids. Because God has kids. And then this new birth, it, it unites us as a family. That's why I brought that up family togetherness. We are children of God and connected. In this case, it says we love God more than the kingdom of this world. We overcome it. This has been an interesting year because I've seen a lot of people put barriers between them and other people that in the past never would have survived. I've seen people put political opinions in the place of love and in relationship. I've seen people put coronavirus processes and opinions in the midst of that. I've seen whole congregations, not ours, thank the Lord, but whole congregations split down the middle because of extraneous things. It would definitely be outside what we would call love. It's more in the realm of opinion not salvation. It's not essential. You know our big quote around here? In essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love, charity. Can we just repeat that real quick just because it's one of our main mottos? In essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, let's say charity, charity, because they rhyme. You know, it makes it easy. One more time, okay? In opinions, no. We aren't, no so in essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, charity. That's good. See, that's charity. Charity is the old-fashioned word for love. Now we think of charity as like giving to somebody in need, and and that's one of the forms. But the word agape, translated in the King James version, is charity. Okay? It was a broader word than just giving of money. It had to do with your heart and your love and the fondness that was there. You know, I know people that say, I'm closer to my church family than I am my biological family. I, I probe that. I say, why? What, what, what's going on there? Because of their commonality of God in their life. Because of God doing this very thing. How we love the children of God, by loving God, by loving the heavenly Father. We're going to dive into that a little bit more here, because I want you to think about obedience for a moment. I call it followership here, just because that's really what we're talking about, following Jesus. What did Jesus kept saying? He kept saying over and over again, how do you you, uh, become a disciple? Just follow me. Just do what I say. Just follow me. Just obey. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God. And notice the and? And carrying out his commands. Oh, wait a minute. Did he sneak something in on us there? You know, well, we love God and we keep his commands. There's an obedience sequence here that's really, really important. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but what he's getting at is the best way to show people you love them is by obeying God. You know, carrying out his commands. The best way to show people that you love them is by obeying God. Have you ever heard that before? That's not, Usually we don't think of it that way. The more you love God, the better you're gonna be at loving people. That's how we know That we are loving the children of God by carrying out his commands. Let's talk about that a little bit. I call it a twist of phrase. A twist of a phrase. This is how we know by loving him and carrying out his commands. See, our love for God is evidenced by our obedience. Here, our love for people is evidenced by our obedience. Our love for people is evidenced by our obedience to God. Let's put it this way. The most loving thing you can do for others is to love and obey God. Are you catching that? The most loving thing you can do for other people is to love and obey God. We're gonna talk about, break that down a little bit because uh, it's really a form of love. When I walk with God... It demonstrates my love for my fellow believers. When I'm walking with God, it's a way, it's an expression of my love for you and your love for each other. It's expressed by your love and obedience to God. The more you love and obey God, the more likely you're gonna be to show love to each other. Let's break that down a little bit. Jot this down in your space there. To love and obey God means that you will walk in the light that's a key phrase for this apostle john walk in the light as jesus walks in the light if you love god you will walk in the light and guess what that does that brings people into the fellowship my my church community is better by me walking in the light rather than in darkness does that make sense kind of look at it like um, let's say we're all on a great big ship and we're traveling through the ocean, okay? We've got every one of us, let's say every one of us has an anchor. You know, As long as we're holding the anchor on the deck, the boat can go fine. What happens if I take my anchor opinion, let's say it's my opinion, and I toss it out, and it hits the dirt and starts dragging? And let's say one of you says, oh, I've got an opinion about that, and you throw your anchor out, and it hits the dirt and starts dragging. Pretty soon, if all of us do that, what happens to the progress of the ship? It yeah, it's going to drag to a stop. The more we love God and keep those things to ourselves. So, so in opinions, liberty. Who cares? If it's not an essential to salvation, we can hold a variety of opinions, We don't have to have exactness when it comes to our opinion, and I don't have to portray my opinion as if it's truth. Instead, let each person have it. If I'm walking in the light as Jesus is in the light, it's going to bear itself out in the body itself. There's going to be a benefit for the whole body. To love and obey God means to spend time with God. Let me just ask you, are you spending time with God in his word? Here's the challenge, 1 John 3, 11 through 20. Good chance to dig in in a deeper way. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. We can spend time with God. That's obeying him. That's part of that relationship with him. When you spend time with God, Who do you become more like? God. When you spend time with Jesus, you're gonna take on his character. Is that good for the body of Christ? Is that good for the shipmates (laughs) as we travel through this journey and the church? You see, the best way to love people is by loving God, by walking in the light, and by giving energy and time. Because when I love God... It means I'm allowing for change. Course correction, let's put it that way. I'm sensing that I am not, um, I'm not all, I've got blind spots. I need God to correct those blind spots and to work on me. When you're a follower in loving and obeying God, you're constantly saying that. God, change me in the way that you want to change me. Help me to obey you and I'm allowing for change. In my life. What did it say in First uh, John 3? All who have this hope in themselves, purify themselves just as he is pure. He appeared that he might take away our sin. And in him is no sin. That's the course correction. Number four, to love and obey God means that you will not tempt others. Okay? If you're a carnal believer, the chances of you um, detouring somebody else is huge. If you're a fully devoted follower of Christ, you're not going to be detouring or derailing anybody else. You're going to not tempt them. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, you've got to deal with this fellow that's in your midst. There's a need that's there. You know, um, what's the phrase? One bad apple can spoil... You know. Yeah, yeah, if, if you've got people in the church that are saying, oh, to heck with sin, I'll do what I want, how does that affect the rest of the body? Well, it's just about me, I, it's not affecting anybody. No, he's saying here and in other places, it affects everybody. There'd be an illustration of that. Think of, uh, you've got a, a police officer who abuses his power. And it's rare, it's extremely rare but when it happens, what happens? You know, a year ago, what happened? Everything came unto you. My grandson goes, Grandpa, is that over one guy that got killed? Well, there's a lot more than that. But yeah, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. And carry that over to the church. Carry that over to the family of God, the body of Christ. Wherever we're at in our relationship with him, sinning or not sinning, doesn't just affect us. There is no such thing as a victimless crime. (laughs) There's no such thing as a victimless sin. There's no such thing as saying, well, it just affected me. (laughs) No. Either subtly or intrinsically, it affects the entire church family. It's not just a private thing. It affects us all. I think there was a, a rapper who said at one time, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Maybe you've heard that. I'd say, check yourself before you wreck your church. Do a a check and say, am I headed God's direction? Am I excited about obeying God because it affects everybody and everything? Because there's a connection to the body of Christ and our future together? Oh, that we would be passionate about obeying the Lord, not because of personal and individual things, but because of collective things as well. That's his point here. That's his entire point here that's surprisingly obvious to us. One last one. To obey God means to build others up. What we call edification, edify others. Positive contributions to the church family. Everybody has something at a different level because we all individually need to grow and enrich the community of believers. So what is it that you need to not throw overboard? No anchor there. Now, I gotta deal with one more phrase here. Did you catch that part that says, and his commands are not burdensome? <laughs> I've actually had people come to me and go, hey, hey, there's a mistake in here. God, <laughs> This, he surely didn't mean this, to Is that in the Greek? <laughs> Is that really in the Greek, that word not? You know, they are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. Surely God's commands are burdensome, aren't they? Let's talk about that a little bit. John, John the apostle, who had spent time with Jesus, who had heard him from the beginning to the end, John, the apostle, who is at the time he's writing this, is in exile on an island called Patmos. I mean, think about it for a minute. His obeying of the Lord has gotten him... You know what the secular uh, historians say? They tried to kill him by boiling him in oil, and he didn't die, and they freaked out. They freaked out because they failed to kill him. They thought... God must be keeping him alive for a reason, so he threw him on this island and in exile. Now, wouldn't you think this John, this author, would say his commands are burdensome? His commands are a load? Remember, he's thinking, Jesus said it this way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Light. Why would Jesus say that when this John is listening and he's gonna go through all these problems in his life? The same reason he's saying it to you and to me. The same reason he's saying it to us today. His commands are not burdensome. Instead, they're helpful. Let's, let's, let's break that down a little bit. What are some of the things that, well, he condenses them. I mean, instead of 631 commands like the, the the Jewish people had, when the guy comes to him, when the ruler comes to him and says, "What does it break down to? What's the most important command?" What did Jesus say? Love God and love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you get down to it, you go, "Oh, that's all I got to do." <laughs> you get those down, and you got it. The, the, the commands of God are not burdensome; they're actually helpful. Love God and love people, that's what life is all about. Everything you do can be measured through those two mechanisms, through those two filters. Is what you're doing loving God? Is what you're doing loving people? That's why it's not burdensome. Is because he condensed the commands of God down to the essence, down to the essentials, something that everyone can relate to. I call it the rawest form. Love God and love people. In fact, Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets is summed up in those two things. You go, well, that, that, just, that just streamlined my Bible reading. All the law, first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, that's pretty much the rest of the Old Testament. If you get those two things down, you've really got the essence of what was written in those books. Number two, Jesus gives us a new nature and a new desire. You see, it's not burdensome because of what's going on in here. It's not burdensome because he's built inside of us as believers in Jesus, his Holy Spirit, and an eagerness, a willingness, a desire to obey him. That's why we're not going, oh God. Eh. When I was a teenager, I thought, oh man, you mean I gotta give up? I gotta give up? I mean, I can't do. I mean, and you go through the list of what you feel like it's burdensome. Oh, you look at that differently now, don't you? Don't you? No. It's not what you have to give up. He puts a power inside you, He puts a new desire inside you and a new nature. John had heard Jesus talk about that, and it changes your inner motivation what's the reason for you doing that let's take another one jesus opposes i call it ritualistic religiosity i know you might not have to have a chance to write that whole thing in there but jesus opposes ritualistic religiosity jesus isn't about religion he's not about ritual that's not what his heart was driving toward Instead, if you compare what Jesus was about, it was about relationship. Entirely about relationship, not about ritual. Now, you compare that with the world's religions. The world's religions, in essence, are finding a way for man to reach to God. Christianity is the exact opposite. It's showing us the way that God reached out to man. Radically different, totally different. So, how does that re- affect our response? We're not trying to earn our way to God, walking a certain amount of miles, or um, reading a certain amount of things, or lighting a certain amount of candles. I mean, there's all kinds of religious opportunities that he just blows away. So, I mean, I think about our religion today. I don't know if you think of it this way, but the United States, secular humanism is our religion of the day. Oh, my gosh, the burdens they lay on people. You know, the cancel culture stuff. My gosh, it's just so complicated, and Jesus isn't for any of that. You know? Skip secular humanism. That's a religion we can do without. What he's calling us to is a righteous relationship with God. Love and obey. Love and obey boils down to that. Let's talk about another one that makes it non-burdensome. Jesus assumes that the healthiest lives are obedient lives. You know when you have a a really healthy meal and you eat what you should eat? I don't know, maybe for you it's a... um, Have you guys been to Mod Pizza and they had had one of their salads? Oh, my gosh. I don't want to advertise for him, but it's really good. You know when you eat a mod salad or something really healthy for you, and your body just kind of like thanks you? you just like, your body's just feeling healthy you know, versus those cinnamon rolls or something else where you're going, it tastes so good going down, but you're real sluggish now. And, you know, in a way, that's the spiritual aspect. This is the spiritual aspect of the same thing. The healthiest you can be is when you're obeying God properly. That's how he made us, and that's how our bodies tick with the right diet. Our spirits tick with the right obedience to God. We were made for such as this. You catch that? And and that's the point. He assumes that we are the healthiest when we are obeying and trusting in God and, and, and following him. One last one here, number five. Jesus, I love this. He fosters love as the basis for joyful obedience. Jot the word joy beside that, if you would. You see, it's not burdensome because of our relationship with Him. It's like, of course, I want to obey you. Of course, I'm excited about that. You're the Lord, you're the Savior, you're the Master, and you gave your life for me. Therefore, I want to obey. I want to obey you, Lord. Remember um, Jacob in the Old Testament? Jacob went to Laban and said, I'll work for seven years to marry your daughter Rachel. Remember this? Is he cluing in on this? So uh, he worked for seven years, had the wedding, but (laughs) Laban kind of tricked him. He got Leah instead of Rachel. And he said, I didn't want Leah. I wanted Rachel. Well, the dad said, well, you can't marry the younger daughter before you marry the older daughter. So this is just the way our custom is. So they bargained. Jacob said, I'll work another seven years for Rachel. Okay. They bargained, and that was the deal. Ladies, wouldn't you like to be worked for for seven years? I mean, if we were to average that out, like let's say it was $50,000 a year, salary. I mean, you'd be worth a lot, right? You know? (laughs) I'm not getting the smiles back I thought I'd get in that, you know? Here's what Galatians says, though. Or, Or no, Genesis 29, 20. Here's what he says. It says, the 14 years that he worked for Rachel seemed like but a few days. You know why? Because he loved her so much. See, the, the, the burdensomeness of 14, could you imagine working for a bride for 14 years? The 14 years seemed like but a couple of days. Why? Because his heart was so into the project. He was excited about the relationship with her. And the same thing is true for us when it comes to our relationship with God. Because of our relationship and love for him, what seems to others to be burdensome, oh my gosh, you can't do that, you gotta do that, feels like nothing to us. It feels like nothing to us because of our love for him and our desire to see his kingdom grow and expand. That's why it is, does that make sense now? That's why he says non-burdensome. If someone comes to you and says God made a mistake in his word because he said his commands are not burdensome, let Him know, let Him know what you've learned today. Can we take one more? Faith is the victory. Let's just talk about faith then. We've talked about fondness, our love. We've talked about followership, our obedience. Now we're going to talk about that intrinsic, internal aspect called our belief or our faith, which is at the heart of it all. You see, there's a pull of the world. Listen to this. Everyone born of God overcomes what? The world. Haven't we talked about the world already in here? For all that is of the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. world. Now he's kind of going into that. He says, the one who's born of God overcomes the world. Let's talk about being overcomers today. Don't we all need an encouragement to be an overcomer? To be someone that supersedes the warfare that extenuates beyond, that goes beyond the battle and overcomes. What are we talking about here? We're talking about victory. We're talking about victory in Jesus based on our faith. This is the victory. Circle that word. I don't know where you're at today, but I bet every person in this room needs to have God's victory somewhere. It could be an area of temptation you're dealing with. Oh, God, give me the victory It can be an area of of relationship. You say, Oh God, give me the victory. How are you going to get that victory? This is the victory, even our faith. Faith is the victory. Let's repeat that together. Faith is the victory. It's not an add on, it's not a nicety. It's not something you can do if you want. It is the heartbeat. That's why he's brought this up. You believe in Christ to be born again in him, but you believe in him to have victory in your life as well. Faith is from beginning to end. Faith doesn't just take its place in your salvation. In fact, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, the, first of all, the present, the right now. I mentioned if you've got a sin that you're dealing with, a temptation what did jesus say i have been tempted in all ways like we have been yet without sin our current overcoming of the world because god keeps us from worldliness victory is ours through our faith and it comes from whom it comes from god faith is ours because god Gives it to him. So notice the phraseology: we are those who our faith overcomes the world. That's present. Okay. Let me show you something. Well, go back to that. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. John 4, four 1 John four four. Now let's talk about the past. If you're here today and you've received Jesus Christ, if you are born. Again, if you have trusted him for your salvation, here's what it means. You're not trusting in yourself. You're not dressing up the corpse and saying, well, now that it looks so good, there's life. You're instead saying, I trust nobody else. I don't trust myself. I don't trust my parents. I don't trust my church attendance. I don't trust my financial giving. I don't trust anything else but one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ to save me. That's how we overcome the world, by putting our faith in and our trust in Christ. I hope every person in the room has had a chance to receive Christ, Jesus, and become his child that way. That is the past. We have gained victory over our sin. So our sin does not follow us after we die. We are cleansed. The Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they become whiter than snow. What's the Bible say without faith it is impossible to please God? For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is it when it comes to our salvation, but it's also it when it comes to our sanctification. It's our plan for conversion, but also continuation. Here's the phrase from Amos that gets pushed forward into the New Testament. It's repeated six times in the book of Romans. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. In fact, let's deal one more. Faith that will overcome. So you've got the past, has overcome. You've got the present, is overcoming, and will. This is the faith that overcomes the world. Ultimately, us that are born again, we overcome the world because we continue to walk by faith. Believing Jesus is worthy of our faith and the only object of our faith. Well, we've exceeded our, our time, but I hope that encourages you about the overcoming, the victory that is yours. As you trust in him, as you put your faith, he will give you the victory. Let's say that phrase one more time. Faith is the victory. One more time. Faith is the victory. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for showing us your word today. Thank you for the encouragement that comes from trusting you, from obeying you, from putting our uh, our faith and allegiance in you. Lord, as we want to see that more and more every day, would you help us to not just know in our hearts that we can be overcomers, but to experience it on a regular, flowing basis. Thank you for the body of Christ here, Lord. May we be that kind of people. May we be the brothers and sisters in Christ you've called us to be. Love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.